I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the Apocalypse, Season 3, Episode 15, The Rat Nest. The utility truck rattled as Tasker drove over a section of rough road. In the absence of regular traffic and maintenance, weeds were beginning to heave up from the cracks and broken spots. A piece of truck grill had broken loose and was dragging. The errant strip of chrome was tapping out an intermittent metal buzz as it dragged and bounced along the road surface, a Morse code signal from the underworld. It would go ignored. There would be no stopping for cosmetic repairs now when they were so close to their goal after days of hard running. Harlan, who had been dozing, pushed up his camouflaged cat diesel power ball cap that he found in the truck. He fingered a clump of greasy hair away and opened his eyes. Take it easy, dude. We don't want to spook any of our guys. They had managed to push the cars on the bridge out of the way and had cleared a path to get over. There would be no more trouble from their pursuers. The one man who had been thrown from the truck in the encounter had been alive but unconscious in the road. Harlan had grabbed a poor bastard by the leg, dragged him across the road, and kicked him over the edge into the water and rocks below to join his comrades. Tasker had tried to square the killing of a defenseless man. For God's sake, why'd you go and do that? He asked Harlan. He wasn't making a fuss, and the Lord says to have mercy on those less fortunate. Harlan had responded. He was trying to kill us. Now he's not. Consider it a mercy killing if you want. Once clear of the bridge, they drove, continuing their flight to the king's camp on the other side of the river. Tasker slowed to navigate around a burnt-out car angled off the shoulder of the two-lane road. The tall grass was charred in an oily black oval around the metal skeleton. The remains of the driver still slumped behind the steering wheel, Another body, smaller, lay on the pavement within the perimeter of the toxic burn scar. Tasker turned his gaze away from the horrific scene and refocused on the road ahead. A blue rectangular sign identified the town as 
Antioch. Another pointed to a Walmart supercenter open 24 hours. The signs reminded Tasker of the jarring difference between the old world and the new, the straightforward and familiar simplicity of these pre-pandemic communities and the current chaos of the apocalypse. It was truly discordant. It weighed heavy on his mind. Tasker couldn't mentally reconcile the recognizable but fading past with his lawless present, and he was anxious about the path he had now chosen. Was he doing the right thing? Was he doing the righteous thing? Or had he chosen the wrong path? He glanced at the dozing Harlan and said a silent prayer for guidance. Men like John Tasker, hard-working, loyal, law-abiding men, industrious Christian men, uncomplaining men, they founded this place— carved it out of the wild forest with their hands, backed by their faith, built it up. They named it Antioch, after one of the birthplaces of Christianity itself. And 50 years ago, probably Sam Walton himself, the most industrious of them all, flew over in his plane, searching for sites to expand his retail enterprise. He saw and chose a plot of farmland here for his new store. With this store and hundreds like it, he brought retail wealth to the South. He lifted the people up and led them with a proper razorback hog call. Now, those same citizens lay crumpled and cremated on the concrete roadways they had built. Alongside them, the great retail store legacy lay deserted and raped with its windows smashed and contents looted. The customers and associates had all gone to an unholy rest, none of them having a nice day. Tasker spoke, hoping conversation would shake his fouling mood. So, what's this man like, your king? he asked. Harlan considered the question for a moment, clearly calculating how much to share with Tasker. Andy, he's a good man to have on your side. Were you two friends before? Yeah, Harlan said, eyeing Tasker. We spent some time together before. How did he get to be king? Tasker continued prying. Harlan chewed on this question, then answered thoughtfully. Well, you know how it is in situations like this. The strong men step forward. People look for someone to tell them what to do. Andy is as natural a leader as they come. 
Do you think he'll help me get my distribution center back? Harlan paused and smiled. I think he'll be very interested in your story, yes. Then Harlan pulled the hat back down over his eyes and burrowed his shoulder into the seat to get comfortable. Tasker tried to picture the man he was about to meet. He thought about the conversation they would have. He'd been in business long enough to know it would be a moment of truth. There were a lot of unknowns with these people. It made him nervous, but not so nervous that he would shirk his responsibility, his responsibility to his place and his people. This was his chance to make things right, to put things back the way they should be. God knew he had sacrificed enough. It was time to get back what was rightfully his. Whoever this king was, this man Andy Tasker would make him understand the importance of Tasker's role in setting society back on the straight and narrow. He could picture Daniel Boone and a host of self-made pioneers smiling at him with approval as he talked the king over to his side. Yes, Tasker thought to himself, reassured and confident. I'll show this king the righteous path. They knew they were getting close when they came upon a dump site for bodies. It was the remains of a suburban landscape and garden center. The corpses had been dumped and pushed into a pile with a tractor, one of those small landscaping tractors. It sat motionless and tame amidst the wheel ruts at the edge of the pile, splattered in mud and gore. It was a mass grave of sorts, but with none of the respect or organization of funerary practice, more like a waste dump where the excrement of the plague had been swept into piles to rot. Tasker held his breath and gripped the wheel. They drove on, penetrating deeper into the king's realm. There were more frequent signs of occupation and destruction, houses with doors hanging open, windows smashed out, and household contents coughed up onto once well-maintained lawns, like the house had thrown up in a spasm of domestic nausea. Some structures were burned, piles of blackened rubble or gray skeletons that stood testament to the consequence of the apocalypse. Eventually, they approached the king's inner keep. It had been a great resort in a gated community. Now, it was the king's base of operations. It had a tall perimeter fence that, in another irony of the apocalypse, was intended to keep the riffraff and criminal element out. 
there was a central resort building from which opulent townhouses radiated outward. Tasker slowed as they approached the main gate. Two trucks blocked the entrance, and at least six armed men eyed them suspiciously. He turned to Harlan and asked, "'What now?' Harlan looked things over and responded, "'Pull up nice and slow. I'll do the talking.' It didn't take long for Harlan to establish his bona fides. Tasker watched with some admiration as his lanky, rat-faced traveling companion exited the truck and walked fearlessly up to the glaring guards with his open arms and broad smile, talking a mile a minute the whole time. Tasker saw the guards' body language dissolve from tense to cautious to collaborative in a few short minutes. In the end, handshakes and smiles were exchanged. One of the guards offered Harlan a pint bottle with something brown in it that Harlan graciously accepted and from which he dutifully took a smiling swig. Harlan sashayed back to the truck with that conspiratorial grin of his and got back in. We're all set, he said, and then winked a mischievous wink. Let's go meet the boss. They drove slowly down the main entrance towards a central resort building. Groups of men were spread throughout the yard of the central area. Some clustered around open fires. Panel trucks were parked in the front lot, surrounded by pallets with boxes and crates and large plastic storage containers. The army had been busy collecting supplies from the surrounding areas. Some of the condos had smoke coming from their chimneys that, before the apocalypse, had been intended as decorative or perhaps used once a year during the winter holidays to provide a patina of festive warmth. Now they were being used routinely for heat and cooking. Tasker was taken aback by the sight of a hollow-eyed woman sitting on a curb in the torn remains of an evening dress. She didn't acknowledge the truck's passing or even look in their direction. His thoughts flashed to his own wife. They had been married thirty-seven years before the cancer took her. They had raised a family in that time. All gone now. The Lord had taken them to heaven. It was not Tasker's place to divine the will of God, but the thought of his family came with a wave of sadness. All he had left now was his place in this world, his role in this world, his path, his righteous way. Onward, Christian soldiers! rang in his head, 
I half remembered him from his youth. He sat up straight in anticipation of his talk with the king. He trusted in his faith to see him through. Tasker pulled the truck into an open space near the main building at Harlan's direction. There was a rank smell in the air that mingled with wood smoke as they got out. Sky-blue porta potties were shoved in a loose row into a ruined bed of rose bushes by the entrance. More men with guns were stationed at the ornamental front stairway. They confronted Harlan as to his business. They were quickly satisfied with Harlan's story, but frisked them to make sure no weapons were carried into the presence of the king. Job done, they let the two men pass. Tasker was pleased that his associate seemed to carry weight with this outfit. That, he felt, was a good start to his mission. They walked through the doors and approached the king's inner sanctum. There were more armed guards, maybe a dozen or so that Tasker saw stationed at doors and windows. If he had to guess, he would estimate there were a couple hundred or more men in this army of the king. This place seemed cleaner, like someone was keeping up with the basic janitorial work. Finally, they entered the presence of the man himself. The king was reclining in a large ornamental bathtub like something from a Hollywood movie set. Steam rose from the water around him. There were several women in bikinis lounging in adjacent chairs, one was pouring water from a steaming kettle into the tub. There were ornate silver trays of food and drink. The whole situation seemed a bit theatrical to Tasker, like a set piece from a gangster film. The king himself wasn't as big as Tasker expected. He was, in fact, a wiry man of smaller stature with a hard face that had evidence of a broken nose and some scarring. There was a blood-red tattoo of an anatomically correct heart on his chest. The thought crossed Tasker's mind that these people were just run-of-the-mill thugs, but he put that aside. He still had work to do. These people would be his tools to get his work done. The man in the tub's face broke into a wide gap-tooth grin as he recognized Harlan. Brother Hog, how you doing? I thought we'd lost you. Welcome back. Harlan's rat face opened into a smile as well. Man, it's good to see you. I thought I'd never get back here. How goes the war? I'm surviving. The king shot back, looking around at his attendants. That you are, agreed Harlan. The king's eyes turned to Tasker, 
who was gripping his hands together in front of him like a schoolboy in the presence of the headmaster. You got a new pet? He asked Harland. This is John Tasker. We drove over here together. Took a few days, but we made it, Harland said. He was running a big distribution center across the river, and I thought you'd be interested in hearing his story. Harlan stretched out the last part of the phrase in a way that made it sound a bit conspiratorial. All right, brother, let's hear the man out, but you and I will catch up later over some cigars and good whiskey, yeah? You know it, hoss. Well, Mr. Tasker, the king said with a level gaze, tell me what your story is. This was the moment Tasker had been waiting for, like an overly enthusiastic acolyte speaking to his congregation for the first time. He eagerly began to preach his case to the king. The words cascaded from him in a righteous diatribe. He spoke of the great men who had built this part of the world. He spoke of his duty to them and to God Almighty to save his community at the D.C. and set them on a true path. As Tasker spoke, the king listened calmly with a bemused patience. When he praised the riches of inventory that God had provided him with at the D.C. as an offering to the right and true men of the new world, the king raised an eyebrow and glanced at Harlan, who nodded slightly. Finally, Tasker leaned in towards the king. He got down on his knees next to the tub and concluded expectantly, You have been sent to me to help in this mission, and now we must work together to fulfill God's plan. The king looked at Harlan. I like this guy. He's funny. The king reached out and put his hand around the back of Tasker's head as if to bring him in for a worthy embrace. He stared deeply into Tasker's eyes and said somberly, Brother, I thank you for this revelation. As Tasker beamed at the words of approval, the king grabbed tighter his hand clutching the graying hair on the back of Tasker's head. Tasker's expression changed in an instant from beatific confidence to surprise to shock and horror. The king jerked Tasker's head forward violently and pushed it down into the water of the tub. Tasker struggled, his bony arms pushing at the lip of the tub and his legs thrashing. But the king held his head fast under the water. As the older man struggled for life, the king spoke calmly to Harlan. This guy's a piece of work. How did you manage to keep from killing him? It took Harlan a moment to answer. The king's aggression had caught even him by surprise. Uh, 
It wasn't easy, but he had a lot of information, and I thought you would appreciate getting it straight from the horse's mouth. The rat-faced man said, glancing at Tasker's struggling form. I thought you'd like that bit about the inventory. They've got buildings full of stuff. Food, fuel, clothes, everything. Tasker's thrashing became more desperate and urgent. The king pushed down harder and continued his conversation with Harlan. He's right, though. We can't just stay here and shit in the woods. We need to start building back up. My supplies ain't gonna last forever. And we need fuel. Just sitting around here playing grab ass isn't gonna get us anywhere in the long run. He looked down at Tasker, whose body gave one last violent jerk and lay still. I mean... I've got an army of hardened soldiers, and that makes me the civil authority around here. But it's not just muscle. I need people, not just soldiers, people, my people, people to grow crops and clean toilets. He relaxed his grip on Tasker's head. The body slipped out of the tub onto the floor in a wet crumple. Tasker's mouth was open, and his eyes bulged like a dead fish. The king flexed his wet hand as if working out a cramp. He was more animated now and addressed Harlan directly. "'I've got a vision.' He started. Time for us to expand. Now is the time to do it. People are coming together, forming groups. So we go and absorb them, see, and we let them live. The king looked at Tasker's body on the floor. Well, maybe, with some examples made... But we make them our people. We give them protection, and they pay taxes to us. They work for us. They support our army. They farm for us. The king shook his head. Not like the old days, Hoss. Not like before, when men like us were pushed down into the dirt by righteous pigs like this one. He looked purposely at Tasker. No, brother, this time around, we're the royalty. We make the rules, and they serve us. The king pushed himself to a standing position and carefully stepped out of the tub. He looked at the wet body on the floor as if seeing it for the first time. Then he called to one of the men. Charlie, get rid of this piece of shit. He wrinkled his nose and continued, and clean this place up. I think he pissed himself. Harlan said nothing as the king talked. He sat and listened with a look of respect. Yes, brother, the old man is right. Was right. 
It's time to rebuild. A king needs a kingdom. And I declare this is the beginning of our kingdom, a kingdom of new men. Harlan nodded. He would follow his king's lead. The king, no longer known as Andre Bobet or Andy the Shank, the king turned to Harlan and said, Let's get that whiskey before I start killing people I like. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my survivor friends. How are we doing on this fine day? If you are one of those people eagerly awaiting episode drops in real time with bated breath, today is the dawn of a new month, the month of March 2023, March 9th to be specific. Spring is just around the corner for us up here in the Northern Hemisphere. Indeed, it is peeking mischievously at us from under a blanket of wet snow. Now you may, in your more cogent moments, ask yourself, what in the hell does bated breath mean? And lucky for you, I have an answer. Because etymology and morphology are two of my lesser bad habits. It's not B-A-I-T bait, like bait for a hook to catch fish. Non, 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 mon ami's apocalypto. It is B-A-T-E, which it turns out is a shortened form of the word abate, meaning to stop or cease. And here's a little aside, a pro tip for you. Pay attention to your Latin roots when you're trying to figure out what words mean. When you see that little A in front of a word, that's a Latin prefix, and that means against or opposite of, as in apolitical, asexual, or amoral. Now, the first known written usage of bated breath is from Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, written in 1605, 
when I was just a lad. It is an Elizabethan wording for being so excited to hear what happens next. You are holding your breath. Holding your breath with anticipation, as Tim Curry would say. So you can drag that out at your next cocktail party. And you will be the toast of the town for your stupendous intellectual prowess. Or maybe you'll just be politely ignored for being a pedantic bore. Or shown the side exit. I've got a couple of pieces of new content that I have sampled to share with you today. But before I get to that, I wanted to publicly thank Marshall. Marshall, for signing up to support us on Patreon. Marshall, shoot me an email and I will send you a cool after the apocalypse patch that you can have your mom sew onto your tuxedo. And all of you out there listening should take Marshall's generosity to heart because every time someone sends me cold hard cash, an angel gets their wings. If you can't send cash, whether cold or hard or warm and sticky, you can always give us a quick review or a like or a share on your social media. Even if you've done it before, you can double tap and do it again. The media machine never sleeps. The AI overlords need to be fed. I'm in a loquacious mood today. I just finished writing and editing and we're producing episode 15 this episode. Uh, I was trapped alone with Ollie the Collie in my house on Cape Cod last week. Part of the roof came off, and it's rain. it was raining in the dining room, and I had to hang around for a couple days until the insurance people came. So I, I was trapped at the keyboard with my inner crazy person writing all this stuff out for you. So back to the content that I wanted to share with you that I have consumed since we last talked. One is a book. I read another book since we last talked. Another book, you say, in an amazed, somewhat sorrowful tone. Yes, I respond with a religious certainty. It's what I do. And that book was The Berserker Wars by Fred Saberhagen. Mr. Saberhagen was a prolific science fiction and fantasy writer in the 1960s until his death in 2005, and he wrote the first Berserker story in 1963. But he soon discovered that it was a fruitful, rich vein for him to mine, a veritable cash cow, because as near as I can figure, he wrote 18 novels in this Berserker series. And some of these were standalone novels, and some were compilations of Berserker short stories, like the one I read. The Berserkers are a machine race that were built as, as weapons by an ancient extraterrestrial race for a war. But, unfortunately, for those uh, extraterrestrials, the Berserkers got free and turned on their creators. Now those Berserkers, they roam around the galaxy on a mission to eliminate life. And guess what? There's only one life form, violent and unhinged enough to challenge the Berserkers now. Guess who it is? Yep, you guessed it. Those batshit crazy humans. So the novel I read was a compilation of short stories that had been published previously in sci-fi magazines. And this was one of those paperbacks that I picked up in that used bookstore in the Milwaukee airport. 
Uh, it was a good read. I liked it. I mean, it's not like a modern space opera where it's all sort of action and plot and character. The stories here, they tended to be more introspective. Um, they, he tended to use the Berserker theme really as just a framework, a, a sort of scaffolding to say something, right? Something about humanity, something about people in each one of these stories. So the true classic golden age of science fiction, short story writing, you know, you get that one nugget from every one of these stories and they're sort, sort of loosely tied together around the Berserker theme. So anyhow, Fred Saberhagen, Berserkers, support your local used bookstore. Now, the second piece of content that I would like to share with you is an Apocalypse podcast recommended by Nate on our Facebook group called Full Mars Folly. And this is a really interesting apocalyptic story. It's professionally produced. The audio quality is top-notch. There are appropriate sound effects. So even though there's a lot of internal monologue, there's also a lot of some multi-character audio drama type segments as well but the shows they run a little long close to an hour some of them and i won't give spoilers just that this is a viral virus zombie apocalypse and the story is about a family that has survived by living on a small sailboat in the ocean but as in most zombie apocalypses or is that apocalypse anyhow Shit turns bad in a hurry. I found it quite compelling, and the voice acting is really good, really nerve-wrenching. The actors really get into it. You can tell they're real actors. (laughs) And you'll want to listen through it all in one go, because you get hooked, and you just want to see what happens next. Uh, There are two things that struck me about this show. Uh, The first was the pacing. It is full-on heart-pounding, chase-scene, horror mode, 98% of the time, and I found it exhausting to listen to. The hits keep coming, and there's no time to breathe or collect yourself, so a couple times I had to step away (laughs) just to sort of catch my breath, take a day off. But the voice acting is really good, and you care about the characters, and you want to see what happens to them. The second thing that struck me was how, (laughs) woe is me, whiny, the characters get. And they do this over and over again, and it starts to really grate on you. Sometimes it's like a full half of some episodes is a character's inner voice beating themselves up for some imagined sin, and it just makes you want to roll your eyes and scream at them, shut up and nut up, it's the apocalypse, get on with it. But that being said, I give it a solid A-. minus. I liked it a lot. Give it a listen, and thanks to Nate for the tip. And that's it for me, folks. Hope you're enjoying the show. I appreciate your joining us on this adventure. Come over and join us on Facebook, where we have 318 survivors standing in line for MREs and hot cocoa. Links to everything that I talk about and all the stuff going to be in the show notes and over at the website oldmanapocalypse.com don't forget to submit a short story your short story why are you afraid to do this just go ahead and do it i want more submissions we're having a story contest and we're going to have it read professionally into audio here on the podcast feed 
What are you waiting for? Just go do it. You think you're not good enough? You are. And if you aren't, I'll tell you. Ha ha! You people are the true heroes of this show. Keep your dining rooms dry, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, and keep surviving. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.